so I was so I was really annoyed <laughs> earlier because I remembered oh shit it's Christmas which mm-hmm. I've also it's just dawned on me that it's the twentieth today yeah yeah and I, I yeah. Fuck all friends. I, I I had a point like a couple of days ago where I was like, oh yeah, that's like that's like real soon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're hosting one over here, and it's gonna be big. Linda has been just. I, I gotta. She's actually on top of that stuff, like because her anxiety will not allow her to be in a position where. You know, she can forget that there is this sense of obligation around the holiday. Yeah. And mm. so so she has for weeks been like, hey, I need this person's address. Hey, Conrad, get me this person's address. I need this address. I, I need to send this out. You know, so it is. it has not been lost on me. And yet I have done nothing. Mm-hmm. I live life one impending deadline at a time and I cannot act more than... One, maybe two deadlines ahead of me. So I I really do have to get to that point where I'm like, oh, I'm far enough along in the calendar that I can see I can see Christmas is on the next row down from what I'm doing now. Like that's on that's on next week on the line. Okay. Beyond that, I'm just like blind to where I am in space yeah. and time. Oh shit, it's the twentieth. It's Fuck. the fucking twentieth. It'll be the twenty first by the time people hear this. Oh my god, I've done that. This pales in comparison to what I was going to say. I was annoyed about in a contrived way, in that fa la 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 isn't a real word or anything. That's meaningless now. Burn that whole bit. Is that originally what you were going to say before you realised we weren't recording and we had to start again? I was. I was going to lead up to a whole bit about fa la 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 la, right? And. Instead, I've upset myself five fucking days. And let's face it, four's a write-off. Oh, and if you needed to send something somewhere, it's way too late. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What you do is you send it today, and when it doesn't arrive until like considerably after Christmas, you blame it on the postal service and go, "Oh, I really get slammed this time of year." Like, absolutely, yeah. you know, I sent it before the you know like last guaranteed drop off, but you know how they are this time of year. You and know? hope that they Ugh. don't you know look at the date stamp on the package when they you know. Well, see, the problem then is that, like, clearly it got into the mailroom and, like, you know, they just, like, it took days for them to, you know, get through the mailroom enough to stamp it and, like, start moving it. You know, that's, oh, they must have really been backed up. I'll just tell them I smoke a lot of weed. (laughs) They'll get it. There are people in my life for whom that would be plenty. (laughs) Four four and twenty, am I right? (laughs) Oh... Um, completely unconnected to anything, but my, my, my brain is ADHD to story and now I feel the need to, 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 to pass it on. Sure, yeah. Um, job recruiting, uh, you know, companies are now using AI to fucking pre-screen, uh, job applicants. Oh, yeah. And the story that came about this, uh, the other day that I saw was someone's birthday happened to be April 20th. Yes. And they got a response telling them that their birth, a uh, date of birth was inappropriate. <laughs> um, seemingly because computer and AI had gone 420. That's, that's an internet weed joke and not a real, not a real thing. You're, you're not being serious on your job application. Cause that's the fucking future we live in now. 
Yeah. If you happened to unfortunately share a birthday with Adolf Hitler, I have more bad news. <laughs> it's it's like the people who live in Scun- Scunthorpe uh, in the UK yeah. and can't fill in fucking job applications because their town has cunt in the middle of it. <laughs> like, who uh. do they do? They think that like teenagers are applying for like a bank teller job for a joke they should be. so that they can they should be actually yes that's the response to all of this is to flood the zone <laughs> with crap and make these job application systems completely unusable i'm not kidding well here's the thing they've already safeguarded against that conrad you've basically just proven them right to to censor <laughs> scunthorpe because you're you're you've basically right you've rabble roused which, <laughs> in Dino Hatton, you know that the, the Cooper troops are going to take you away and put you in a machine oh, and shrink your yeah. head and turn it into a little lizard head, Conrad. Very small one. Very, very, very small. small. One. So think about that, because I took myself off whatever track I was on. But yeah, I, I think I think if everybody who... Uh, you know, just has a little bit of free time in their life, just like took five minutes to send a legitimate resume, not one that's fucking around, one that that seems like it is tailor made for the purpose of getting a job. If you just send some of those out every day, and 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 if you get calls, which awesome, good for you, congratulations. If you get calls, say no, thank you, I'm not interested. Um, or drag the process out and make them like spend money on the interview process. And then when you like finally sit down for a face to face, just say, no, I, I didn't want the job. I just wanted to fuck with your AI hiring system. Uh, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These these things will eventually become too frustrating for them to use. Or they will just never hire another person from Scunthorpe ever again. Yeah. As we've ascertained. Don't come from Scunthorpe. Don't, don't smuggle cunt into any words. Otherwise, you won't get through. Don't be a smuggle cunt, right? And don't say that that's your surname because you definitely won't get a job applicant, like a, an interview. Oh, it, it is a real shame that I don't think we can get away with calling this episode Don't Be a Smuggle Cunt. Mm. Mm. I mean, the, the asterisk covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, welcome to Pogquisition. Oh, yeah. It's it's the festive period. We're, we're, we're clocking out for the year mentally, I think. You, you can hear it. We're, we're out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I'm just going to tell people that I smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. Like, yep. if, if people are uh, accusing us of being, like, too tired or, or done with it or high, I'll justify it by saying <laughs> I smoke a lot of weed. Of course I sound... <laughs> tired and high and boring it's it's not because you know the very the various social and economic systems that govern our lives has ground us into a fine pace towards the tail end of the year allowing us roughly 14 days of relative rest and we're the lucky ones before we get to come back (laughs) it's hard to complain Mm. no i just like drugs yeah, I just like drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, who's who's played games this week? Anyone played anything this week? Uh, I played a couple. How many have you played? Uh, I played three things three. this week. I played two. 
Ah, should I, should, should I I've start got two then? and a I... half. I'm in the middle because I've got Ooh. two to Ooh. talk about and one I just bought. So two <laughs> yeah. and a half. I technically well, have as, one and a half. As, oh. as someone who, who has three, I, right. I, 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 two and a half maybe, but I'm going to say three. I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off. Mm. Um, I've had more vampire survivors to talk about this week because mm. that that game just keeps fucking uh, getting getting more content, and it I am not complaining start. about it. Mm-hmm. There is a new paid DLC that is out now for Vampire Survivors uh, called Emergency Meeting. And I was really interested in it because it is a branded, like a brand tie-in for Among Us. Yeah. And I was super curious how this would turn out because anything like this where you are mashing another property into another property inevitably like it's either gonna it's it's either gonna mesh well or it's going to feel like we did this for money and marketing and i'm honestly really impressed with this dlc i think it does a lot to justify its existence in as much as i would argue i think there is there is perhaps more content in this in terms of like new characters and new weapons than you know like the first dlc that this game has and I think the content that is there not only is good, but does a good job of like tying itself into the thing it's based on and feeling very distinct to play. There is a map that is based on one of the early maps for Among Us. It is a sort of base on a on a planet in space. There's like a larvary section and a bunch of little buildings that are disconnected. And the main gimmick of this map is themed around um, the catastrophes going on during an Among Us game. So, you know, if if you remember playing Among Us, sometimes the imposter will set off, like, oh, the there's a fire over here or something, and, like, all of the not-imposter players now have to run around turning the lights back on or whatever to not, you know, not have bad consequences happen. There is an equivalent to that on this new map, which is uh, a bunch of alarms will start going off and you'll get pointed at a couple of locations that you have to run and basically step on a circle in a specific room somewhere on the map to avoid negative consequences and possibly get a positive reward. I think the map is well designed for this, in that while there is not, like, a huge number of, like, buildings, they are all fairly intricate, with, like, one or two entrances and a lot of winding rooms that you've got to, like, you might have to go the whole way round a room to, like, get in, um... And it's paced well enough that usually you have like a little bit of extra time, but you need to you need to start fucking legging it when that alarm goes off, no matter what else you were trying to do at the time. And that gives a good distinct feel to that map. It is of the DLC maps, I think it is the one that like playing it is the most mechanically distinct. It's not just distinct in the enemies look different and the, the map looks different. Um, I like the benefit you get for uh, completing those those um, emergency challenges when they come up in, in time. You get a guaranteed five-item uh, reward chest, and that chest will upgrade items if you've done all the things to, up- to evolve an item, even if you're not at the 10-minute mark yet. So there is benefit to you getting across the map and like making that your priority, even if that means kind of taking a bit of damage, just kind of hoofing it. Um, so to start off, I think the map is really interesting, and, like, unlike the other DLC maps, there is something mechanically about it I can point to and go, that map feels different because of that. Um, additionally, I like the way that the buildings are integrated into this. Um, other DLCs for Vampire Survivors have had 
buildings, but they usually only really exist to be a place where you pick up a pickup. Um, they're usually quite small, um, they're not designed for you to stick around in. The buildings on this map are large enough in terms of their, like, corridors and room sizes that you can, you know, you have room to manoeuvre to do combat in them. I would compare it a little bit to something like being in the Inlaid Library, where, sure, you can't go any further north or south in the Inlaid Library, but you have enough room north and south to manoeuvre. And I think that is that is to this map's uh, benefit. Uh, the DLC also contains nine new characters, and each of them has a new weapon. And uh, without getting like into the specifics of every single one, they are all things that if you played a bit of Among Us at some point, you will remember. That I think are fun in terms of how they like make the mechanics. Um, the really easy one to point to is the, uh, the the really annoying minigame about trying to swipe the, 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 the card, and you have to swipe it at the right speed, and it's really specific, and you're having to fucking swipe it left and right until it registers, is a left and right attacking uh, big version of the card you have to swipe, and it sort of bounces back and forth erratically as if someone's trying to swipe it and it's not swiping properly. Or one of them is a megaphone that when you evolve it is the, the big red emergent, like, call an emergency meeting button. And when you evolve into that, uh, when it goes off, it'll make a little list at the bottom of the screen of all the enemy types currently on screen, and go, which one's the imposter? And one of them will get randomly selected, and all of that type of enemy that are on screen will get killed off sort of like the pentagram, but for one enemy type on screen, and it sort of sets off a bit more quickly than the pentagram would. Um, those are things where I'm like, yeah, you've done you've done a good job of thinking about the mechanics that people are likely to remember and making them into distinct things. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting that this DLC does that isn't done anywhere else in Vampire Survivors currently is, if you've played a lot of Vampire Survivors, you will know that there are some weapon evolutions that sort of combine down into one slot and free up slots for you. Like, if you evolve both the guns with the tiramisu, uh, they evolve into a, a a better gun, and it no longer takes two slots, it's a single slot. There is an equivalent of that for accessories with this DLC. A lot of the new DLC weapons, um, you evolve them by getting like a mini version of the corresponding colour Among Us person as an accessory, and you have to level up the weapon and this sort of mini crewmate as well, and when you evolve, that mini crewmate vanishes. Uh, so you are freed up with an additional slot after having done that weapon upgrade in your accessories row. And again, that is something I can point to from this DLC and go, nothing in the base game was already doing this, and it does provide interesting options for, like, I can get an upgraded weapon and still late game have some open empty slots now for things like um, the stone mask for increasing my money gain without uh, needing to, like, have that the whole run necessarily. Um, some of the, most of the characters I think are, like, very self-explanatory in how they work. There is one character I haven't put the time into, like, Google how they work. There is a character that is a ghost, and their gimmick is fascinating, and I can't work out how to make use of it yet, which is, first of all, they can float through walls great for, I need to turn off that emergency alarm that's going off, and rather than run the whole way around the building, I just fucking go through the wall and hit it. But the ghost's deal is... They do not take any damage, 
and they do not deal any damage. They, they can't take damage and they don't deal damage. And in co-op it's interesting because you essentially, your, your player who can get damaged in co-op will never lose the run because they go into their coffin you're there being invincible, you know, they can they will always get to revive out their coffin even if they're out of revives. But then it gets a bit more interesting when you start playing around with okay, well I can't deal damage, what can I do? So items like the clock lancet that freeze enemies in place still work as the ghost. Um there are certain abilities that will do things like healing up players near you in the DLC that the ghost can do. You can sort of spec the ghost to be like a support class, hanging around and not worrying about taking damage themselves. Um, there is clearly some kind of mechanic with the ghost where, in future runs, it has items that don't take up slots that are seemingly like ghost data of your last run that is interesting. But there are a few things in the DLC that seem almost tailor-made for the ghost to be a invincible support class in co-op in exchange for you having less damage output. And that is an interesting trade-off uh, that I want to dig into more. Yeah, I think it's a really neat little add-on for the game. It feels pretty substantial. I've started playing the adventure mode for it, um, which has a bunch of original content in there. The enemy design variety is really high. There is a lot of really fun references to just sci-fi and particularly space sci-fi enemy tropes that show up. And I feel like it is higher in enemy density than a lot of the other levels in terms of just how many enemies the level throws at you. It's pretty good. I I'm I am pretty damn positive on this bit of marketing tie-in DLC for Vampire Survivors. That sounds cool. I mean, it's just, it never stops being amazing how much they're adding to it. Like, yeah. that game, <clears throat> uh, despite having such a long early access tale, I think the development that's gone into it after release might have exceeded that by now. Yeah, the, the amount of additional content for a couple a couple of quid here and there, pick and choose which one you're interested in, has been really nice. Yeah, and clearly a business model that works. Yeah. I appreciate that anytime you're doing co-op, um, in, in like adventures mode as well, and this kind of came up when like some of those other adventures released last week. I really like that adventures mode, if you play it in co-op, just gives you access to like four character options straight away. You don't have to like play some of the adventures to get co-op. It's like, yeah, just have the first four characters, don't worry about it. There's a lot of really nice choices that have been bringing, like, me, and specifically me and Jane playing together, back to Vampire Survivors. And it's been nice to have... Co-op, I think, has really helped the new content, particularly in, like, for me and Jane, be something we, like, dedicate a weekend to together. Like, oh, there's a new DLC, we'll, we'll spend, like, we'll spend, like, six hours, like, playing through unlocking new characters together. And that's been really nice. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that's that. That's wonderful. Uh, what about you both? Who Who wants to jump in with our game? Uh, I, don't know. I Steph, you you did two and a half games. What yeah, what, well, what you got? I want to talk about buying Midnight Suns. Yes, mm. I was very curious about your buying experience. Yeah, so this is it's a game I was sort of interested in. I'd heard a lot about it, people talking about it. My friend Ollie talked about it a lot. I know you, Laura, talked about it a lot on here. Mm. Um, but I. I was very interested, but not quite enough to buy it. 
and I wasn't really interested in reviewing it all that much. So it's the first game since, like, I was buying games, like, secondhand that I've waited and bought when there was a discount because, you know, I used to get review copies many years ago. And then when I did my own reviews, I just, like, bought them, like, for work. And I bought them early to review them. Um, So this was the first time in ages and and all i'll say is well i won't i'll say a lot more but they had the legendary edition on the playstation store sale mm-hmm. 99 dollars it was jesus and they were selling it for 30 <laughs> and that game came out this year uh-huh. and yeah, yeah i just felt that was notable enough to bring to class today. Like, the sheer drop and the, in that space of time. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. There's, there are very few... Like, Nintendo's just about the only holdout from mm-hmm. this kind of behavior. The third parties get in on it real quick with some deep discounting. And, and even the first party games outside of Nintendo, you'll often see a sale of some sort or other, you know, quarterly that is, while maybe not to that extent, um, they are frequently pushing them at lower price mm. points. I've always sort of maintained that purchasing a game on launch week, and especially a AAA game, is maybe not the best decision for a lot of reasons. Mm. Yeah, I I think that giving games a couple of weeks for because you know people like you are professionally purchasing them for the purpose of providing criticism, commentary, and and that sort of thing. I mm. prefer to gather those kinds of opinions from trusted sources before I make buying decisions. In a lot of cases. And there are some things that, yeah, I'm just going to buy them at some point, and I know that, but I'm not in a rush for that, because I know that within six months to a year, it will be deeply, deeply discounted. And there are thousands of video games out there to play. My my only real contribution to this is I just did some Googling quickly to check something. Uh, so you got the, the Ultimate Edition. Uh, whichever one was 100 quid. Uh, yeah, that's probably the one, it, I would guess. There is one called the Ultimate Edition, it seems like that's the one. Um, you might get to avoid my biggest problem with Midnight Suns by having this edition. So, Midnight Suns, I think, is like mechanically a fucking fantastic game. I really, really enjoy that that game's mix of, like, you know, um, tactical XCOM-style strategy mixed with card, like uh, um, deck-building card game stuff. I think it works really well. There's a lot to love about this game. I have one major problem about the, the release version, if you just buy the basic version of that game, and it's one of my personal points of frustration, which is this game has real money purchasable DLC outfits for characters, and that's not, you know, it's annoying, but the thing that makes it worse is you go to the in-game wardrobe to, like, find your character outfits you have, or that you can unlock in-game, and the real money purchasable ones that you don't own will be in that list. Oh. Alongside the ones that are 
unlockable in game and the ones that you have. Oh, that and fucking Gangs of Sherwood did that recently. Like I, the arrogance I, of them doing it is amazing. But... Yeah, it really fucking annoys me when games do that. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, it seems like all of those premium outfits that they wedge into the list to go. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll use my points to unlock that. Well, oh, that's money. Okay, it seems like you have all of those. Right. And as such, you might get to sidestep that. It really soured me on that yeah, game, that's really and it's shitty. it it really frustrates me on on like a fundamental level, and it because it, I I think that game is fantastic. I don't easily recommend it because of that because I know for I I know for a lot of people that caveat's going to be a big problem. Right. Well, I'm glad I've got that edition for the price it should have been. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. I I only saw it today. So I've downloaded it, uh, but didn't get a chance to try it before uh, we recorded. So may, well, I say may have thoughts next week, but we'll probably be doing like a year end wrap up kind of thing next week. I imagine so. Uh, so yeah, I guess thoughts at some point. Um, but yeah, just thought I'd bring that one up. Yeah, that is interesting. sort of sort of a thing you played, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a video game related activity. I played the market. <laughs> played it like a fiddle. Oh well, what about oh. you, comrade? What 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 you been playing? Well, this week? I, I'm still playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto Five. How's I'm, that going? I am. I I assume at the midpoint or just just past the midpoint of the game. Uh, we're planning the big one, or we would be if things hadn't already gone awry ahead of planning the big one. Whatever. I want to talk a little bit about streaming this game. Mm-hmm. And my sincere hope that Rockstar has some kind of consideration for people who might want to stream Grand Theft Auto 6. Mm-hmm. Because the licensed audio in this is, it's avoidable. <laughs> uh, but it requires constant vigilance. <laughs> because of the way the uh, the game works you get into a car the radio is on and it's tuned to a station which nine times out of ten is going to be playing something that is licensed that could get your stream copyright struck yeah one has to imagine if like grand theft like the next grand theft auto will do what other uh games do and have like a streamer mode or whether rockstar in their arrogance will just be like no fuck them I am very curious because, and I've been complaining about this a lot on stream and people have been like, oh, well, you know, you couldn't have expected Rockstar, you know, blah, blah. This streaming wasn't as big. I agree. Game's 10 years old. I I acknowledge that. The game's 10 years old. But people were streaming in 2013. Streaming was rapidly growing. I'll say this. Um, Not necessarily in defense, but just to maybe get some, like, Add the before we got to a very standardized point of like 3D cameras in games and how they operate in a 3D game. <laughs> like now we look at how it is and we're like, that's fucking obvious. Just like it was fucking obvious that the R2 button should be used to shoot. But there was a time when it wasn't. And I think streamer mode is something that sort of cropped up, not recently, but certainly closer to now than then like someone might just have not have had the idea yet who was in a position to implement it 
I, I, I feel like this, this was could have been patched in, yeah, in ten years yes. with the most successful property and, well, ever made. The other thing yeah. is, is they might not fucking care because they're the most successful property, and you yeah. shouldn't be no. streaming it anyway because we still think it's theft. The thing that I think, if anything, gets them to make streamer safe music and a bunch of it in order to have a streamer safe mode, it won't be the story campaign. It will be. We want whatever the GTA Online equivalent for GTA 6 oh, is yeah. to be more easily streamable. There are 300,000 people streaming Grand Theft Auto 5 right now. None of them are yeah. playing story mode. They're playing the online. I'm sure I'm not touching GTA Online because I. No, just not. <laughs> I'm not. No, yeah. I tried it for like five minutes once and I was like, I got run over and I was like, nah, nah. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I, if I'm I'm sh- there's obviously people who enjoy it. Good for you. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I am sure it has more accommodating features of some kind. I don't doubt that for a second because there's yeah. no way three hundred thousand people are watching GTA Five and not, right? But yeah, uh, the effort I had to go to to play story mode and not infringe. Yeah. Is astounding. Like, so you get into a car, so you immediately have to change the radio station. And here's, here's your, your problem there is that if you want story content that the radio provides, you know, weasel <laughs> news, basically, then you need to have the radio on. So you can't turn the radio off, which means your only choice is the talk radio station. For which it seems like there's two shows per region of the game, and it is the <laughs> most repetitive shit on Earth. If you're on PC, you can make self-radio. <gasps> and so you can take some music files and put them into a specified folder that the game creates on your computer, and it will play the tracks from that folder. And it will even insert generic DJ shit. <laughs> that has been made for the self-radio station, and you get Weasel News. You still have to navigate to it every fucking time you get into a car. But I just grabbed a royalty-free album and slotted it in there. Yeah. And solved my somewhat solved my streaming problem. But, you know, it's an inconvenience for me, and they should not give a shit about me. But, gosh darn it, the the first few weeks... Are going to be a nightmare on Twitch yeah. and other places mm. if they don't have some kind of system in place to address it. So, anyway, still enjoying GTA 5's story mode, and I don't want to love Trevor because he is an unrepentant monster, but of course I do love Trevor because he has a heart of gold. Yeah, it's fun. That's it what is. I'm playing. Yeah, I've been tempted to pick it back up again. I've finished it a couple times in in, mm. in my life, and I am tempted to go for another. I'm feeling similarly. Yeah. You having gone back to it has sort of made me like maybe I maybe I do it. I can't get around how like just good the design is from like a mapping perspective. And and all of those elements, the missions are just varied enough. It doesn't give me quite the opportunity to get bored that so many other open world games do. I've heard people 
make comments about how they they wish all of the buildings could be entered uh like in true crime new york and shit like that and i don't feel that way i actually i i i don't i think that's unnecessary it's putting a hat on a hat rockstar already overdoes it on shit and you want them to do more of that i don't think that's a great call just as evidence i was i was playing on stream and because i had just like been given a bowl of curry i figured i'll just walk to my destination it's only a few blocks and somebody on the stream commented that you know they've played this game many 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 times and have not heard 95 percent of this pedestrian dialogue that's happening as i'm walking along because they're never not in a car but it's all there and there's a lot of it yeah and i respect it on the level of it does make the environment feel alive in the event that you are in the circumstance or you're the person who just happens to try that but do we need it i don't know that we need it i mean that's rockstar in a nutshell do we need it (laughs) Yeah. For them, of course, the answer yeah. is always yes. <laughs> Other the stuff I've been playing this week, uh not not a huge amount to say about this one, but uh the second half of the DLC for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came out last week, and obviously I I went and jumped back into that because I am a fiend for Pokemon. Um that game is still, in a technical sense, exactly where it was basically when it launched. If you are someone who found its uh uh, frame rate and performance to be a deal breaker, it's, it's not gonna have changed. I like narratively how they have finished up the the the, the story of the the DLC. I think they've done some interesting stuff with some character arcs. Mainly, my thoughts on on this DLC are: I like the new area they've introduced. It is a big enclosed terrarium with just four very distinct, like there are literally lines down the middle going. This is the coastal area. This is that area. We're not even going to pretend it's a real place. With like stark lines dividing. Go find Pokemon in some new spaces we've made. There's no artifice to it, and I kind of appreciate that. It is just a space to go and find a bunch of new Pokemon. I appreciate some of the new quality of life things that have been introduced, even if it is frustrating that if I were to ever start a new playthrough of this, the way it is set up is I will not get these quality of life things until finishing the second DLC, at which point the game is basically done. Things like, in Legends Arceus, you could have a Pokemon that could sort of glide in the air, sort of indefinitely, and would slowly but gradually lose height. In Scarlet and Violet, for some reason, they massively reduced the distance that you could horizontally move on your gliding Pokemon before it would just go, that's far enough, and just fucking careen to the ground. The DLC now has the option to just fucking fly as much as you want. You can just, like, take off and gain height and just stay in the air forever if you want. Fucking great. Sucks that you've given it to me when when I've done basically everything in this game, and not in a way where I could, like, get it early in a future playthrough. The main thing I find interesting about this DLC, and I don't think this is going to be interesting to either of you, but I'm going to get a bit nerdy about Pokemon mechanics for a minute, because I... Um, very, I'm very fascinated by a new mechanic they have introduced that is going to be of interest to, like, a couple of people listening. So, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet introduced a new mechanic called Terrastalizing, which was basically, once per battle, you could change a Pokemon's type mid-battle. 
from what it usually was. You could have something like a Squirtle, it's normally a water type, you could set it up so that if you terastalize it in battle, it becomes a fire type. And that would mean if someone was trying to do um, an electric attack, they're like, oh, that would be super effective against your water type. Surprise, fucker, I'm a fire type now. I'm no longer weak to electricity. You could sort of use it defensively to change your weaknesses to try and sort of protect yourself from getting hit. Or you could use it offensively. Let's say your Squirtle had a fire type move on it. You could go, cool, I'm a fire type now. I get the boost for being the same... Pokemon type as the attack I'm using. Neat mechanic, it's done really interesting things for the competitive scene. In particular, it's made types like Ice type that were very underused in, in competitive Pokemon because they had too many weaknesses, uh, they were a bit too glass cannon, has made them a lot more viable because you can go, cool, I will change the defensive typing of this Ice type so I can still use Ice for its good offensive potential, but defensively have it be something a bit less likely to get one shot. It's done interesting stuff like that. The new thing they've introduced in this second DLC is a new type you can terrestrialize into called Stellar Type. The basic version of this is it doesn't change your defensive typing, which is definitely going to help balance it. It, it. it is not used defensively to change, you know, what your, your defensive typings are for incoming damage. But offensively, it makes you every elemental type of Pokemon at once, kind of. Not on a permanent basis. You get the boost to your attacks that you would get if you were, like, the same type as your attack once per type of attack you have. So if you had a, a Pokemon with, like, uh, a grass-type move, a fire-type move, and two water-type moves, you could get you know, a 1.5 times bonus on your first fire-type move, on your first water-type move, on your first grass-type move, your second grass-type move, that wouldn't get the bonus because you'd already used up your grass one. It's essentially like a one bit of ammunition per elemental type of attack you have to do increased damage. It's certainly not overpowered. I think it's going to be very situational and, like, not useful for most people in most situations, but it does provide some really interesting options for Pokemon that like to run a lot of moves, that are trying to be very fast and trying to sweep out the opponent's team before they get a chance to do anything, and have a widespread of what they might need to spec into. It's a really interesting option. I'm very curious to see how gets used competitively in the coming weeks. Huh. Um, it's interesting, and I'm going to, if you excuse me for one moment, I'm going to interrupt to to say something that's going to mean absolutely nothing to you, Laura. But Steph, when Laura said stellar type because of the accent and my American <laughs> ear, I heard Stella type. Mm. And I would love a Pokemon battle with Michael Show, Walter, Michael <laughs> Ian Black, and David Wade as your Pokemon. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, God. I, I'm <laughs> dreaming of the bit where they stop to be in a tableau. <laughs> Stella, by the way, oh. is a fabulous fucking show. Yes. And I need to track it down here in the UK because I am so grateful you introduced me to that. It's it's it is a piece of art for sure. Um Laura, it's these three sketch comedians who just do absurdist nonsense stuff centered around a premise, but everyone else in the world around them for the most part, is seems normal, and they're just weird, and yet the world caves to their strangeness. It's 
you really describing it's not possible yeah that it's it's very difficult but it is a delight um they did it as a live show for like 10 years or something and and comedy central gave it a series one of my favorite lines ever which is grab your fil- grab your milky thistle dick <laughs> just poetry uh-huh. <laughs> wow <laughs> I'm sorry. Please, Laura. Uh... No, no. I, 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 I said all my stuff. I had to say that I, I, I knew was, uh, was not really going to be of interest to you, but it was interesting to me, and I needed an excuse to, to talk about the weird minutia of competitive Pokemon. Uh, no, I do actually think <laughs> yeah. that that's an interesting mechanic, having a, an Uber type of some kind. It's interesting because it initially, the first I saw it, I thought, okay, this is going to be overpowered. It gives you that bonus for everything. It's not good for any th- any Pokemon where it's like, this is the one move I need to use over and over with that benefit. Uh-huh. And it doesn't change your defensive type. And that is primarily what the competitive community has been using terrestrialization for, is to shore up their defenses. It's not going to be for everything, but it's a it's a really interesting tool they've they've added. And if nothing yeah. else came from the DLC, I really like what that presents. Um but yeah. What about what about you, Steph? What you been playing this week? I'm a very happy girl, actually, because yeah. I have a new fighting game to play. Ooh. It's a game that was mentioned in the wake of my talking about Street Fighter VI and its accessibility as another accessible fighter. And some sort of, I think, updated re-release of the game came out. Uh, a couple of days ago, so I've been playing. Let me remember this: Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising. I think that's the form. rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, I have had this one recommended to me a bunch because, as I understand it, it's very similar in terms of how uh, special moves are basically just a direction and modifier. Yes, yes, it's got that modern control or like smash control if you want something like analogous. It's got that kind of thing to it, yeah, the special moves up, down, left, right, and then the special move button. Although it's it's got way more going on in terms of your options and commands, because it's R1 plus a direction to do a move. So let's just say R1. You do R1, you do a move, you shoot a little like projectile or something. You can then press R1 and triangle to shoot a bit of a stronger one. R1 and circle... To do a big special glowy gold one, but you can only do that if you've got the points for it, Laura. Okay. Mm. And then if your special meter is filled up to half a bar, you can press R1 and X to do a special super duper version of it. So there's that. Then there's like multiple different ways to recover out of taking damage from a move. Multiple different ways to break someone's guard. There's dodging, dashing forward for a dodge. Ducking coolly like a bullet time shrug for a dodge. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It's got the same simple interface, but it's fiddlier underneath that. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing because, well, first and foremost, I have been fucking loving this game. I've been really yeah. enjoying it. I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's any any fucking Grand Blue fighting game. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, like, I've not played... I think, was there originally an RPG? Because uh, I know they've got one coming out like in the future. But as near as I can tell, wasn't Grand Blue Fantasy versus a spin-off from a thing called Grand Blue Fantasy? 
If if it was, I I I don't know. I've only really known the Grand Blue games as the the fighting games. Yeah, because I don't know who the fuck anyone is or what the fuck's happening. I've had to pick up from context clues what characters' his deals are. They're very anime, is what yeah. they are. I've worked out the lesbian stalker because obviously she is, and she's my current main because obviously she is. They've got a, a trans pro wrestler. Mm. For a character, which is cool. And I don't understand who they are or why they're doing anything. The first time I tried dipping my toes into into the Grand Blue stuff, my real takeaway was, you could tell me any one of these was a Final Fantasy protagonist? <laughs> and oh, Or a, a Fire Emblem? Is, is, this, is this the new Fire Emblem main character? I'd believe you. They're very anime. Yeah, yeah. I almost hope there isn't an RPG it spins off from. And I almost love the idea that, like, they made this fighting game with a big RPG story and they decided it would be fun to introduce us halfway through the conversation and let us... And that's the puzzle of it, is to work out what the past 60 hours of RPG was before the fighting game took place. (laughs) I'd love that. That would be... that Like, that would... That would leave her story in the dust <laughs> in terms of piecing together a narrative. I've been doing my best. Like, I've worked out that there are various kingdoms and primal beasts that are under control by some people. I've understand who the blue-haired girl who never shuts up is to, like, what her whole deal is. I like the one who has a lance and is dressed up like this, like, knight in shining armour and speaks in all thou arts. And then every, very occasionally... Like lets out a line like a uh, a nerdy teenager. That's very cute. But all the characters are very fun, even though I don't really know what their deals are. They are a very fun cast of characters, and it looks so gorgeous. Yeah, seeing this in motion, like the the way they, it really does look like a controllable anime. Is fucking great. Yeah, because that's that's one of the um, uh, Arc System Works yes. ones, is it? Yeah, yeah. Arc, Arc System Works really fucking know how to do good looking, like animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I've played some of their other stuff before. It, it, like they they certainly know how to make a game that looks fucking beautiful in motion. Yeah. Plus, I never thought I'd ever play a, a fighting game that has the line "Don't kink shame me, bro." <laughs> it's there's quite a bit of innuendo in the game as well. And there is some, like, queerness going on. I don't know exactly how much of it. But all the characters are very different to play and all of their, like, abilities are very over the top. It's a glorious amount of anime bullshit that they put into it. It just drips off it. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. And very much like with Street Fighter Six, I am really excited to have another fighting game to play. Um, between it and Pinball M, though, my fingers are in... They are raw. Because mm. I, I have a bad habit when I play pinball games of holding the very like sharpest edge of the controllers. And then I'm, it's a lot of hard pressing down. And then there is a lot of bu- button pressing, especially with like shoulder buttons and stuff, where my index fingers already are, to pull off the moves and stuff. So, yeah, my... I, my I am raw. My fingers are achy and the skin is, like, really fucking sore. Oh, no. But there you are. I am finding it a bit of a tougher game 
than Street Fighter Six because there is so much more in terms of systems to to get to grips with and and what counters are good for what. I've got up to very hard on the AI, and I have won one of three online matches. Like I've I've been playing on casual beginner, and I'm still playing online like anyone else who has a better grasp of the multiple systems, which seems to be everyone except one person. If you don't have a grasp of everything and what it's good for, uh, which I think comes down to what I said about Street Fighter Six, that it's more about the tactical side of things. It's not about what button presses you can do in what order. It's do I know how to use this thing effectively, which I think is an actual test of your ability, mm. is applying the knowledge, not having like fast pressy fingers and a brain that doesn't have ADHD. So yeah, I'm hoping to get more to grips with it because I would like to be as confident mm. online as I was with Street Fighter 6, which wasn't massively, but enough because playing against the AI constantly is getting a bit much now and I want to move on to the next sort of stage of it. They have some other mode, like I wish there was a mode that was similar to Street Fighter 6's, the, the world tour mode. Something to sort of gradually introduce you to like specific character move sets and styles and like give you a space yeah. to like get to grips with bits bits of the 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 of how the game works so that you can like apply it because yeah. you learned it gradually. And fill it with with like twists on the gameplay that aren't a strict one on one fight to get you Yeah, like into your things. fucking pizza making mini yeah. game shit. It does have a story mode and it it does it attempts those things in the most direct and boring and unintuitive for a neurodivergent person possible. You know, it's just a long, I hesitate to call it a flowchart. It's flowchart boxes going down in one long straight line with story chapters. Some of whom are like fights against multiple like little mook soldiers and things that tend to go down in a hit. And that's just not very fun. And occasional substages are for a character that you just met in the story. And then that takes you through all of their special moves. And while that is useful to get that individual character thing, it's just presented in such a bland way that I am really itching to get... I hope that I don't get bored of it before I get good enough at online to have more of that side of it. Because... Yeah, going through arcade mode over and over, while I need to do it for the practice, is starting to get a bit, mm, which is a shame. Y you need some novelty during the drilling it in phase. Yes, and I think that's what World Tour did so well. And I think it works for many fighting games where they are very intense and very complicated, but it's the same setup all the time. With the same amount of pressure all the time, it's a very high pressure thing, is a one-on-one -on -one fight with someone, ideally. And having lots of like distractive things, I think really helps, because a fighting game is one of the purest types of game you can get in terms of how direct it is with what you are doing. There's not much room for deviation. So having those exterior deviations like World Tour Mode, I think are important. Yeah, they give you a second to breathe to actually process the things you've been learning rather than yes. just 
constantly focusing on am i doing it right yet it gives you a break from a very intense type of game while not taking you out of the game itself i think that's the thing when i'm done with uh, grand blue at the moment i put it down but i'm still in the mood to play something whereas when i was done with street fighter 6 i played a different bit of street fighter 6 and that's something i think would benefit many fighting games not just the ones that are trying to bring in more of an outside audience but it is an incredibly well made an incredibly fun and delightfully silly game it's got a a, like a real sense of humor to it and even if the humor doesn't always hit as intended it usually hits in some way shape or form which i enjoy with just a lot of fun characters and yeah it, it feels great to play especially uh when you're kind of in that moment where it really clicks so if anyone who's like me who played street fighter 6 because of the modern controls and you've been wanting another one there is a free version of it very limited of course but there is a free version of it that you can download and give a like have a crack at which i did that's what got me to get it i did not know that was a thing and that probably will get me to try it because people keep recommending it to me and i was just like i'd heard mixed things and i wasn't sure if i wanted to pay the amount for the game to find out whether it was going to be the thing i was looking for yeah i did the same and was pretty convinced by the trial to buy it so yeah certainly i would i would recommend you do that laura because i would love to hear your thoughts on that nice there's only one other thing i really played this week i played a little bit of a game called dice heart which is a game that I have mixed thoughts about. The idea of the game is that it is a uh, roguelike dungeon crawler. It is very, very sort of bare bones on like what, what, what it wants to be. You have like a top-down grid of a dungeon, and you click on a room to go to that room, and if there's an enemy in there, you fight that enemy, and if there isn't, there's maybe like a fountain you can use to heal, or like something you can use to upgrade your stuff, and you fight your way through the dungeon as far as you can through the levels and try not to die, and then if you die, you start over. The core mechanic that it's based around is dice-based. Your combat is you literally have like a, a dice rolling tray and a starting set of dice, and you roll them, and on any given turn, you spend those dice basically just on attack or defense. On any given round, you start the round knowing exactly how much en- uh, damage the enemies in front of you are going to do. You get a little number that's like, there's this many incoming damage, and you have these dice in front of you. There are very limited opportunities to heal your own health, so you are incentivized to put enough dice into defense that they will block all incoming damage and use the remainder to attack enemies. Start of the game, that is basically it. And initially, there was very little to it. And I think I think one of the big problems this game has is that early on, there is very little way to modify your build very early, and very little to do early on to mitigate bad rolls. At first, it is literally just put a number of dice that you roll your dice and hopefully that's enough to block all incoming damage and hopefully I have a dice left, throw it at the enemy. As you get further, it does introduce more mechanics and and some of them are, are kind of interesting. You can upgrade your dice into speciality kinds of dice. Sometimes, you know, upgrades might just be increase this from a d6 to a d8 so that you can roll potentially higher numbers, but sometimes it'll be things like, this dice is now a holy dice and instead of spending it on attack or defense, you can put it into a holy meter. That meter, if you manage to fill it, 
will grant a bunch of bonuses for a single turn. So you might have, like, I, I filled up the holy meter by, like, every now and then spending my holy dice on filling it up a bit more. For this turn, any time I attack with the holy dice, the amount of damage I deal is also healing. If I use a regular dice this turn, I get half of it back as healing. And then at the end, however much I healed, that gets dealt to the enemy team. There's special dice types like that that you start specking into a little bit, and that's where things get a little bit more interesting once you have the ability to start building a build. And I think I think that this game takes a little too long at the start of each run to get to that point. I think I think if you could start the run with like a selection of which, you know, would you like a holy dice or a, a hellish dice or some kind of speciality dice to get you rolling. As you explore, you do gain like passive and active power-ups that you can use to, like, again, start building up that sort of speciality build. You can start getting abilities that will do certain things if you put certain dice on them, and sometimes that'll be like, oh, you need a dice with a value under this to activate this once per battle special ability. And once all of these things start coming together, there is an interesting game here in terms of working out how to spend your resources. One thing that wasn't initially clear to me and is both a challenge and, I think, a weakness of this game. Any points you put into, like, building up a, a defensive block don't carry over beyond that turn. Let's say I had five damage, you know, was going to come in and hit me this turn, and I decide to put, like, all of my dice add up to nine, I'm going to put them all in defense, they attack me for five, Um, I've got four block left. The game doesn't let me carry that four block over to next turn. It goes away. And that does some interesting things about, like, making you balance, um, sometimes taking a little bit of damage because the dice you would need to get, a, like, to fully block is a little too high and it's kind of wasted if you spend it because it doesn't carry. But I, be, I think the big thing that that choice does is it creates a little bit of frustration when sometimes, like, a big attack is coming in and you roll and you just don't have the dice you need to protect yourself from that attack. You just fucking rolled all ones, and you can't do anything but just fucking take the attack. And I had a run, like, I was on the second, the, the boss of the second level, and it was going to do, like, 17 damage to me in a single turn, and I rolled all ones, and it killed me. And that moment was really frustrating, because I was like, what I wanted to be able to do is stockpile defense on turns so that when a big turn like that came in, I wasn't relying on luck to be able to block it. There is something a bit frustrating about not being able to be prepared to mitigate against future bad rolls. Or there's not a lot of great ways that i found yet to go, I did just get an absolute botch of a hand at the wrong moment. What can I do to, like, just survive another turn? To, like, get around that one bad turn? I want to play some more of it. I am intrigued by it, but I think it has pacing issues. I think it has pacing issues with how, uh, with the time it takes to start, like, letting you feel like you've built a build that's your own. And I think it's a little too, a little too vulnerable to, I rolled a bad set of dice and I, I'm just fucked now. But I do like some of the things it hides in the dungeon. I like some of the risk-reward mechanics that are there. On a run earlier today, I found 
a, um, usually there are like fountains that can heal you health if you find them. I found a blood fountain and it was like, cool, this will heal you depending on how many enemies are left on the floor, but enemies will become stronger for the rest of the floor. And that's like a little trade-off. And I was like, okay, that's, again, that's interesting. I just wish I felt more in control of like a bad turn isn't just going to fuck me over. Yeah. Interesting game. I want to keep an eye on it. I would like to play more of it. I I need to like look at other people's experiences and see if anyone if there is like a mechanic I maybe didn't come across that could help mitigate I had a bad role in a boss fight and it just killed me in one go. So yeah, that's everything I've played this week. Uh, Conrad, did you play anything else? I did. I played one other thing that um, is worth talking about. I'm a bit late to this. It came out October 23rd in time for Halloween, and I was sent a copy of it. I, shortly thereafter, around Halloween, I just didn't get to it. It's a visual novel called Slay the Princess. I am aware of this and haven't played it yet, but I keep hearing interesting things about it. It is really, really good. Like, very good. Very graphic. Hmm. I'll give them credit. They have a pretty firm content warning at launch of the game. And then on their site, they have an exhaustive list of content warnings. I appreciate that. That's yeah. good. If you're going to offer content warnings, make really extensive ones available for people who want more info. Few things annoy me as much as, here's content warnings, we're not going to fucking specify, like, here's a theme. Any specifics? Nah, don't worry about it. Yeah, what, what they have done, at least for this game, I mean, they have content warnings for both the games, it's just the only one I've looked at. They have, I mean, you can't call it a paragraph, because a paragraph implies a sentence, Right. And there isn't yeah. no point a sentence here. This is merely a a list separated by semicolons. Mm. But it is a chunky paragraph of all of the things that are in it. And then below that, they have a chapter by chapter breakdown of the things that you'll yeah. find in it. It's They've done a great job of at least trying to give people the opportunity. And when I was uh, talking about this with Linda, you know, who... I play most of the horror games that I play with because she's really into them and I think they're fine, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. So I save them for her, which is a little bit of why it took me so long to get to. And mm. she went and did a search as she normally does for hard things, just for some content warning stuff for her. And um, jump scares is one of those things that we always look for, yeah. just because we an they annoy us more than anything. And did not find mention of, of jump scares in their sort of cursory Google search or Reddit search, whatever. But they've got it here on their website in the chapter in which it would appear. So kudos to them. And that, that just evidences why this stuff is necessary. Mm. Because not all the information is going to get to the place where you might find it. So yes. um, really, really good. But to talk about the game a little bit. It is a first-person perspective visual novel. You are in a field at the start of the game. You are told by a narrator that you are there to go to a cabin and slay the princess. And that is, uh, uh, and that you are, are not to be dissuaded from that, though she'll try. A lot of it is in the conversation that you have with the princess that, you know, leads to you 
killing them or not killing them and the consequences mm. for having done both of those things. But I would draw some comparisons to Disco Elysium and the way it does its internal debate. What do they, what do they call that? There's a term that they have. Oh, the, those aspect uh, things. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I forget but, what their term was. The, the, psy- the psyche right. elements. All of those. That, that is present in this as well, to some extent. Um, just, I mean, even, you know, right, right from the outset, it's made clear that there is a narrator and there is a hero. And those are distinct entities that are conscious of each other, and neither of them are you. And I don't want to spoil much of anything beyond that, but it's fascinating to watch it unfold. I would love to see the the dialogue flowchart that they put together mm. for this, because it is one of those games where I have to question at times which things resulted in effects and which things didn't it feels very subtle and nuanced which i really really Mm. like you you are given opportunity to not merely question things about the princess but about yourself and the internal voices in your head and you get to have ideas and it gives the sense that if you hadn't stopped to think about it, you wouldn't have this idea and therefore you would be down a different path entirely from where you went. It's very rich in that sense. And it is, the writing is, is uh, very illustrative and uh, graphic and moody. And there is a tension involved in the decision making that is enjoyable um, and wondering what the outcome is and what things you are being told are true and which ones are not and how much of that is based on context and circumstance. There's a ton of interesting shit to unpack in this and it is beautiful and quite violent and um complicated i just it's i really like it uh, i i've done about i think 40 percent of the game and uh i i do plan to go back and find the rest of it that's another feature that i do like about this it won't let you wander back down the same conclusion twice oh i like that mm-hmm. it will prevent you from doing that and so you're just you're going to still experience a lot of repeated content certainly but you know that it's going to lead to at least something original you're yes. not going to accidentally have an entirely unchanged route yep yep it's oh that is good it is very good uh i do really recommend really recommend people check out slay the princess if you're i'm not a big visual novel person um mm. i i do it's not that i don't like them when i'm playing them but the prospect feels a little overwhelming and or dull sometimes Mm. uh this is not that at all uh it it really drives forward it it doesn't waste any time in making you question what's happening and that it maintains that curiosity um for a very very long time yeah it's good nice Slay the princess. 
Uh, so yeah, should we should we talk about some some newsy bits that happened this week? Yes, we got we got a couple of them. We should probably start with the big one that has fucking it, it, it's. I'm I'm gonna do my best to tackle this correctly because it is it has led to a lot of responses on on a lot of sides and there is a lot to be said about it. I'll give the big picture overview before we we dig into it too much. So what happened was a ransomware group managed to get a hold of quite a lot of internal data from Insomniac Games, the uh, PlayStation first party studio that that uh, did all the modern Spider-Man games, for example. Um, basically, they were asking for two million pound uh, was the equivalent in in Bitcoin, or they were going to give away a bunch of internal company data. Now, from what I understand, uh, Insomniac did not pay the ransom. About ninety five percent of what was stolen was published onto the internet. A small amount of it was not. It was sold to some private buyer on the dark web somewhere. So there is some bit of what was stolen got sold to someone, the rest of it is in the public domain. To very broadly address what was leaked, there was a couple of categories of things. There was a fairly catastrophic for Insomniac Games uh, leak of internal information and assets to do with upcoming video games uh, through most of the rest of this decade. Without getting into specifics, it's to the degree that there are like mock-ups of end-of-story cutscenes for unreleased projects, like pretty fucking damning stuff to be out there. Beyond that, there was a lot of personal employee data was released. A lot of like very, very personal information got out for employees. Um, in a lot of cases that involved like home addresses. Uh, there was inf- information to do with uh, banking information. There's a lot of people at Insomniac who are in the run-up to Christmas now having to go to their banks and like because uh, they're getting fraud alerts on their accounts. I read somewhere that there's concern that this data might include passport photos for employees, which is horrifying. Yes, there is a lot of uh, very personal stuff. I, I saw some discussion suggesting that there might be social security numbers out there. Uh, like, very personal employee information is out there. There are some bits of interesting, and I would argue newsworthy, internal PlayStation information that came out, and there is one piece of that that I will bring up in a minute, because I think, in isolation, it is newsworthy and worth talking about. But there is a bit of context that I have to talk about before we like really jump into discussing this, which is the arguments and the debates that this story created. So to try and summarise a lot of what happened, initially there were on both sides, I think, some very reasonable points being made. There were a lot of game developers going, look, this was stolen information that was held at ransom that is now out there. It is a lot of very personal information about employees, and at the same time, a lot of really fucking spoilery content for projects that, that that those people were working on is out there. Please don't share the gameplay stuff that got leaked because right now that's just kicking these devs while they're down, while they you know while while all their personal shit is is getting rocked. And on the other side, there were people on the press side who were going, "We understand that, but also this information is out there, and you know for for better or worse." It is newsworthy what uh, that 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 info is out there, and and there is room to be had about 
you know, discussing that. And those two sides kind of got pretty heated. It sort of escalated to the point where you were getting accusations from some people on the dev side going, any person in the press that talks about these leaks is uh, is being a vulture and here for clicks and absolutely like making very sort of money-hungry allegations and people on the on the journalism side who were sort of digging their heels in and going, you're on the making side, you shouldn't be dictating terms on what we are allowed to consider newsworthy. And some pretty rough arguments broke out about it. Let me just say that one of the drawbacks of me spending way less time on Twitter and focusing on like stuff like Blue Sky, it doesn't mm. mean I get to miss the absolute juicy shit like this. I miss this. It's this was a lot, yeah. and I don't, th- I don't think that most of the fighting that went on is worth getting into specific discussions of. But there is one point that was brought up that I think genuinely is very interesting, which was. A lot of people started pointing out that a lot of past leaks of video game information that the press were happy to talk about without holding back on talking about what was leaked, and that developers weren't vocal about saying don't talk about those leaks, was when Japanese companies were in this situation. Like, we talked on this show about the fact that a few years ago, Capcom their, like, next decade of planned game releases got leaked. That was, like this, the result of a ransomware attack and them refusing to pay the ransom, and that also included a lot of employee data. And there was not a similar degree of pushback or caution on covering it. And I think, I would argue rightly, some people have suggested that at least part of that is because there is a language barrier. And there is an easier degree of not thinking about the humans involved when you are not sharing a language on the internet. I don't think that is the whole situation. No, no, because, I don't think that's the uh, whole situation. I, I agree. That that probably plays a role, not merely because, you know, uh, like they are probably not consuming the media that's talking about this in that way. And, yeah. you know, there's, 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 a, there's other stuff going on here too, as well. I, I, you know, my sort of position on this, and then one thing I think we should just do right out the gate is, you know, when it comes to the private employee information stuff, uh, that doesn't belong in this debate, like at yeah. all. It, it truly, yeah. truly doesn't. Uh, I, right no. now, unless, a journalistic outlet is publishing that information, in which no. case, fuck them. Yeah, like, none of that is happening. But none of that's going to happen. Because what is happening is people are going, there is footage of unannounced game out there. Mm-hmm. We now know blank game exists because of this leak. And there are certain people on the dev side who are, you know, in some cases going, I will block you on social media and advise our teams to never work with your outlet if you acknowledge any of the leaked games. And those outlets should, in response, say, we will never cover your products again if that's the position you're going yeah. to take. And they won't do it because they are fucking cowards. But that that is the position because, you know, I don't disagree that, yeah, I, it would, I would be heartbroken, I'm sure. Yeah. If, you know, years of my work were released at a t- you know, manner and method that was not what I intended. I completely respect and understand that, but it's not actually your work 
anymore. You don't own it. And here's what I will say. Like, obviously, my experience is not one-to-one with the hugely chaotic experience currently going on. But I do have some sympathy and some empathy for this situation. Um, I've thought in the past about what would it be like if a project I was working on got out there earlier than I intended, and I had an experience like this this year. I did not talk about this publicly at the time because I didn't want to draw attention to it. There is a UK book retailer that started selling one of my books over a month before its release date, and suddenly that book was out there and I couldn't do the planned cycle leading up to like promoting that release because I couldn't draw attention to the fact it was out there before it was supposed to be, but also people had it, and that really caused a lot of problems. I understand to a degree what that is like, but I also, when people approach me about that, going, well, I have the thing and it's not meant to be out, I was like, enjoy it. It's it's out there now. I'm not going to demand that you not talk about it, because it is what it is. Because there is a certain point at which once a thing is out, you just kind of have to accept that it's out in the world, and it can kind of suck. But pretending that it hasn't leaked or hasn't gotten out there early doesn't change that fact. But, yeah, pulling back to a previous point, like, saying about, like, the, the people who are making the comparison to the Capcom leak and suggesting, like, that would be a factor... People have also rightly pointed out that there are other English-speaking examples of this where we didn't see this conversation happen. Uh, Very recently, Grand Theft Auto 6. Mm. The reason we saw all of that leaked gameplay that leaked a while back was because of a ransom attempt. And, again, I'm very curious to see what it is about this particular game in this particular instance that has sparked the particular debate. Because I think there is room to have a nuanced discussion of what degree of responsibility uh, do you have to, in a moment like this where there is like actual human cost going on, to maybe go, maybe maybe we don't dig into you know some of what, what leaked because you're having a rough enough time of it as it is. There is maybe room to have a discussion around that. But I also think that this has brought out of the woodwork a real expectation of people writing about games from the press side are an extension of PR and are obligated to do what is in the best interest of the developers. There is an entitlement to that that is like surfaced in in the wake of this that has been interesting to see for sure. It's been a big fucking mess of a situation. The thing that breaks my heart is that I just I wish we had a better classic criminal. I wish that I could yeah. be happy about this happening on some level, but I can't because they didn't go to the effort to remove the employee personal information, to remove the stuff that's going to, you know, harm the lives of average everyday people instead of who actually has the money mm-hmm. to pay your ransom. Well, if you look at who, like, if you look into this ransom group that's been doing this, they're fucking, they're fucking monsters. You look at the shit they've been doing. The last group, uh, attack they did before this was on a hospital. Cool. Uh, and again, I believe it also involved a bunch of personal information of employees of the hospital. Uh, this is just their fucking MO, is get personal data and just fucking put, like, the shit that's gonna really fucking hurt over a couple of million, fuck, a couple of million, they're willing to ruin hundreds of lives at a time, so. Very cool. Clearly fucking sucky. Yeah. Now, I think there is one bit of newsworthy news that came out of this, and I think it is the one thing that came out of this that I would genuinely say is, like, this is a piece of news that is, like, worth discussing. 
some internal documents from Sony were leaked in, in this, and one of them is a pretty recent document regarding PlayStation's pretty candid feelings about the Xbox acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. I think the thing that is surprising about it is that they seem a lot more concerned than I think any of us would have imagined. The way they see it is that there is a genuine concern within PlayStation that this might be a moment that allows Xbox to, in their words, leapfrog past them in terms of console market share. They feel that having Call of Duty, and specifically the ability to eventually have that day one on, on, on Game Pass, alongside the massive domination that they have in like the subscription games market, and the fact that they're starting to build their own mobile game store, the way they look at that is, we are really in very big danger of being muscled out of the subscription service for games market and mobile, and also Xbox is moving into, it like is pretty on PC and we're really struggling to catch up. We really aren't doing a good job of keeping up with them on those verticals, and the ABK acquisition has really, really, really exacerbated that. It's interesting seeing that like they do seem to see this as a genuine concern for their position re relative to Xbox. I understand their concerns, their their right to be afraid. I do think it's interesting that they uh, are self-admitting, being honest with themselves about being behind competition and their product offerings being dated. Their games as service stuff has not been successful, by and large. Yeah. I think they're not putting their first party games on their subscription their premium subscription service on day one is inherently meaning that people go, that's not as valuable as Game Pass, and that is a really tough thing for them to shake. At the same time, I think that they're one hundred percent correct in the assessment that doing that is not sustainable. And this is Amazon. I mean, this is how Amazon put everybody fucking out of business. Is yeah. that they had the pockets that were deep enough to where they could take the hit until everybody else got starved out and then yeah. they could come move in. And that is, yeah, that Sony should be quite concerned about that. Yeah. So we have a couple of other tangentially related stories because we've got a couple of ABK things to talk about. We talked a little while ago about the fact that Activision Blizzard was trying to end hybrid working in a few of their studios. And there was a story this past week that they were doing some more of that. Activision Blizzard announced last week that they were ending hybrid working for QA testers uh, starting in January, and that those workers would have to go full-time into offices. This was responded to by the ABK Workers Alliance, who were obviously not pleased as a sort of group working for the rights of workers uh, wouldn't be. A lot of those employees felt like they were being forced into soft layoffs, is, is the term that was used. They feel like they were being given little option but to quit themselves. Reading from the ABK Workers Alliance statement, the job security of many QA workers was already on shaky ground due to the announcement of hybrid work earlier this year. Since then, hundreds of employees have been in correspondence with the accommodations team to try and receive permanent work from home arrangements due to things like disability, financial issues, or other factors. Many of these requests have been outright denied, and many more have been offered in-office accommodations that don't adequately meet the needs of employees. Activision Blizzard King has responded to it, and their response is fucking nothing. Their response is, uh, let, let me read from the quote, 
we take our support for employees with differing abilities and mental health requirements and changing medical needs seriously. You, you meant use the fucking term differing abilities, you don't give a shit. We're focused on finding appropriate, reasonable accommodations for team members who experience barriers to performing their essential job functions. We thoroughly manage all requests and work with the individuals confidentially to understand their medical needs and offer a variety of individualized solutions. Not addressing the fact that people who have, you know, in some cases disability and medical need to work from home that they've been able to do just fine. You're you're saying no, work working from home like you have been doing, that's not a reasonable accommodation anymore. Fuck you. So yet another story of work from home accommodations being pulled away and companies not being adequate about acknowledging you work from home fine, it's reasonable for you to request to keep doing that. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. They're gonna do severance packages for the people that can't come into work and boy i hope they get the screws put to them for that i i hope good really good severances can be negotiated for these people because it's fucking bullshit hopefully so speaking of the screws being put to activision blizzard i i say that it's not as much money as, as i would like it to be for for putting the screws to them Activision Blizzard has agreed to pay over £44 million to settle a 2021 sex discrimination lawsuit. The Wall Street Journal reports that an agreement was made with the California Civil Rights Department regarding unequal employment practices on the basis of sex between 2015 and 2020. The money is going to be shared between the claimants, who claim they were unfairly paid and underpaid, which is a regular thing we've been hearing about Vision Blizzard King for a while now. The payout comes with the obvious legal thing of an agreement has been made that no court or independent investigation has substantiated any allegations of systemic or widespread sexual harassment at Activision Blizzard. It's a, we don't have to admit we did anything wrong, we're just gonna pay you all 44 million. Sounds legit. 44 million's nothing to sneeze at, <laughs> but like, it really depends how many people that's being spread between, and like, Activision Blizzard can fucking shake that off. Oh yeah. No, this doesn't hurt them at all. Doesn't hurt them in any way that isn't just operating business costs. If anything, if anything, anything, $50 million is a small price to pay to get acquired by Microsoft and get a huge fucking golden parachute. <laughs> small I mean, price to pay. You're not wrong. Fuck these guys. I got one light-hearted thing to end us on so we don't have to end too heavy. Are either of you aware of uh, the way that Dota 2 has been banning cheetahs uh, recently? Cheetahs? No. As in the fast-moving land animal? No, no, no. People who cheat in-game. Oh, cheetahs. Cheaters. Yes, cheaters. Yeah. Yes. Ap apologies <laughs> no, for no, my, no, my no. poor pronunciation. No, no, it's not poor pronunciation. It is your delightful accent. And as we have already noted earlier mm. in this episode, in my ears, it develops beautiful comedy. So please, <laughs> yeah. Are either of you aware of this story? Uh, I'm not. No. No. Okay. So Valve has been, you know, doing the rounds as it does with Dota 2, trying to detect people who are cheating in their games. And rather than just detecting people who've cheated and like, oops, you get a notification, you're banned. They've been having a little bit of festive fun with it. We know about this because a bunch of people playing Dota 2 on stream have had the following happened to them, and it's made for some beautiful fucking clips to watch. Let's say you're playing Dota 2, you finish your match, and suddenly 
you get a little pop-up that Valve has given you a um a little loot box. A special, really cool-looking kind of loot box you've not seen before, just as a free in-game gift. It's a really sparkly, special-looking loot box. And you open it, and it does its very flashy, you know, elaborate animation going, oh, what are you going to roll? What are you going to roll? What's going to come out of your loot box? And what you get is the highly toxic lump of coal. Your Dota account has been permanently banned for smurfing or other violations of the Steam Terms of Service. And you click OK and your account instantly gets banned. (laughs) You get a very fancy animation and a naughty lump of coal and then your account vanishes. That's... yeah. That's fun! I always like to see innovation in the market. Look, it's no different to banning them, but it's it's meant that I've gotten to see some wonderfully amusing clips of people being very excited and then very <laughs> crestfallen in, in in beautiful whiplash. Yeah, it's very fun. I'm reminded of um, the way they used to fight piracy that way, where, like, mm. you know, pirated copies would have something. Sometimes at the very end of the game, making it unwinnable. Or they'd fill it with like some joke enemy or something. So it reminds me of that. It's quite fun. I still have a favourite one of those. Yeah. Which was, um, I don't know if it was Game Dev Tycoon or Game Dev Story. It was one of those run-your-own-little-game-dev-studio ones. And you would be allowed to play for like a good like five, six hours before suddenly um, your sales would drop like very, very drastically and your games would like start making basically no money. And you'd get a little alert the same as all your other in-game hardships of um, people have started pirating your game and you can't make enough money to make the next game now. And people would go on the forums going, oh, I, I've gotten to this part. It's really tricky. How do I get around? Like, do, do I make DRM? How do I get around the piracy issue? <laughs> and everyone would go, well, about that. <laughs> that is clever. So, yeah. 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 There, there we go, we did it. We, we, did we it. got through the news, we did the episode, we did it. <laughs> well, that'll be it for Christmas. Yeah. That'll be it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Laura. Me? What kind of content have you got? Let me go through my notes for Christmas things. Um, under your tree. Ah, that is a Christmas thing. Uh, well... You're not going to see a lot from me over the next couple of weeks because it's the festive period and I'm just going to take some fucking time off. But I do have like a couple of big videos that are going up this week before I take my time off because i got to do a bunch of work so I feel like I can take the time off. Uh, if you check out youtube.com slash laurakbuzz, uh, there is my game of the year um, video for 2023. That'll be up by the time you hear this episode. And by the end of this week, there will also be the... Uh, uh, accessibility 2023 uh, end of year recap, which will be a 35 minute video that is the entire year in accessibility stuff that happened condensed into one video. So if you just want to watch one video and go, I want to know what happened this year with making games more playable for more people, it's the whole year just in like one little half hour condensed chunk. Uh, both of those will be up probably by the time you hear this. So go go check those out. And then I'll be back in the new year, uh, you know, with other stuff. Laura K. Buzz, you find me everywhere. Patreon's what pays the bills. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch. I'll still be streaming 
through the rest of the holiday season, but maybe a little more intermittently, but that's at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Stephanie Sterling. Oh, oh that is true. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition pays for podquisition, pays for Jimquisition, pays for doing all the reviews, uh, which we have on thejimquisition.com. Um, hoping to have Pinball M off uh uh, Grambly Fantasy out before Christmas, but we'll see. Uh, thank you to everyone who came to Spectrum Wrestling this past Sunday. Um, that was a very fun show to put out there. Uh, obviously, we kicked the shit out the Tories in the main event, so that was good. Um, thank you to everyone for that. Uh, we hopefully will have more news about Spectrum next year. Uh, my next wrestling date is January the 13th. I will be back in Leeds for True Grit Wrestling. I've been announced as an entrant in the True Grit Rumble. So, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have nice holidays, all of that jazz, and we will see you next uh week bye bye bye